All right, good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hosea. Hosea, you may say that is a book that I have not been to recently or maybe didn't even know it was in the Bible. You are going to find out a little bit about it tonight, I trust. Hosea, it's right after the book of Daniel, if you're struggling to find it. That's an easy way to. Hosea was a prophet, um, and, and he, was, he was sent in a very interesting time in the nation of Israel. Um, it was another one of their cycles of sin, and, and they had found themselves again resisting God and really rejecting His plan for their lives. And we're going to look at God's message to the people um, of Israel in this book, the book of Hosea. You can start out in chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few of those verses here in just a second. But I wanted to share a story with you first. Um, there was a group of, of people that were gathered together at an English country home one time, and, and they, were, they were having a good time. They were enjoying just kind of a weekend away, and it almost turned tragic if it weren't for the gardener. You see, he happened to hear, as he was doing his work, he happened to hear some cries of a, of a child, and he ran to the water's edge, and he realized that one of the children was drowning in the water. And so he dove in right away, and he swam out there, and he rescued that child. He brought him back to the land. And the kid's name was Winston Churchill. His parents obviously were thrilled that his child had been saved. Mom is <laughs> smiling because we had a similar situation with um, Callan this last winter. He, we realized that he had fallen in the water and nobody was around. So anyways, it's personal to her. But, but you understand a parent's gratitude when, when something like that happens. And they said, what can we do for this gardener? And, and, and they asked him, is there anything that we can do for you? He said, he said man, that... There is one thing, uh, and obviously I didn't do it for this, but, but if there's one thing you could do for me, I, I would love it if my son would have the opportunity to go to college. He had a desire for his son to, to make it, maybe even beyond what his own father had done as a gardener. And, and that story would be pretty amazing if it ended right there, but the parents said, we will, we'll do it, yeah, we, we'd love to send him. We, we want to repay you in any way that we can. And so they sent him they paid for this gardener's son to go to college. Years later, Sir Winston Churchill had come down. Um, at this point, he was the prime minister of England. He was just deathly sick with pneumonia. He was just bedridden, and, and it was an awful thing. And yet, they, they wanted to help him, and so they called for the best doctor in all of England. They, they, they gave him a call, and they said, Come, we need your help. And the best physician was summoned. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming the man who discovered and developed penicillin. He was also the son of that gardener who had saved Churchill. In just an incredible, ironic turn of events, Churchill remarked, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. In this story, we're going to read about the idea of redemption and redeeming love and, and God's heart towards sinners. I hope you're there in Hosea with me. We're going to start in chapter 1, but I will warn you, we're going to try and get a picture of the whole book here today. And so you'll have to hold on tight, and we're going to try and kind of zoom out and get really the big idea and, and really the message that I believe God wants to get across this evening. Let's pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message, Lord, that, that you've given us in Hosea. God, I know that it has been a conviction to me, Lord, as I have studied this book over the last year. God, your heart towards us is 
so unusual. It's, it's not like our attitude towards you, Lord. Thank you for just including this picture, Lord, graphic as it may be, of your love for us and our rebellion to you, Lord. God, you're a good God. Help us tonight to better understand who you are, Lord. Maybe even the personality of yourself, Lord. Help us to see your heart towards sinners this evening. Speak through me this evening, Lord. Just speak to us tonight. In your name, amen. I I mentioned it in my prayer, but much conversation is um, spent talking about really the character traits of God, right? We, We know God is faithful. We know God is good. God is righteousness. God is holy. God is loving. God is caring. These are things that maybe you memorized as a child. Uh, these, are, these are things that we will apply verses to and we'll remember. God is holy, and we see this in Leviticus 10 and verse 10 right here. We, we, we see that God is righteous, and yet very little time is spent on the personality of God. And I don't want to take any liberties tonight, but I have found that the book of Hosea is just incredibly revealing of the heart of God towards man. And it's a unique book in that not only does it talk about the doctrine of who God is, but it also talks about His heart and His personality towards us. And I think no other place in the Old Testament really conveys that message as it does here in Hosea. Um, Really, it is almost an Old Testament gospel. It's, It's such a an interesting story, but it's kind of a hard story. Those of you that are familiar with it already know some of the details. And so today we're going to talk about the characters in this story. And we're going to look at God's controversy, he calls it. And we're going to see what that is. And then we're going to just kind of see some takeaways for us as we conclude this evening. Um, So hopefully you're there by now. I've given you a good head start to find the book of Hosea. If you're there in in verse chapter 1, you can start there with me. In verse 2. I say that. I actually got to turn there too. Give me just a second. All right. Chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So right off the bat, um, this verse really just kind of sets the tone for the book. You're thinking, wow, three times in one verse, that's a word that I don't use in any conversation, right? And yet God in this passage gets serious about sin. God is not silent about it in this matter because God hates rebellion. God hates when we turn our back on Him and yet over and over again, that is what the children of Israel did. They, they knew what was right and yet they said, we're going to go this way because we feel like this is a better way or a more enjoyable way or we have found this through experience, to be more worth our time. And yet, God knows that is not the case. And so He is relentlessly pursuing His people. And I say this is a story of God and His people, but it's also a story of Hosea and his wife named Gomer. We see Hosea's response to this calling in verse 3. He says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived and bare him a son. That's Hosea's response to this calling of God. He didn't think, maybe he did in, inside, but it's not recorded. I think I would be thinking, man, why can't I get some cool task like, like Elisha or Elijah? You know, why, why can't I do something great? Why, why do I have to be the one that goes and marries the prostitute? God, could I, could I have a better job description here? Like, is there any other available tasks for me to do? And it says in verse 3, he went. 
And he went and, and he found a wife for him. Her name was Gomer, and whatever you have associated with Gomer, just for this evening, put it to the side and, and pretend this is the only Gomer that you have ever heard of. Um, not the most attractive name in a wife. I, I'm thinking, Hosea, like, this should have been your first red flag, right? Don't marry a woman named Gomer. Um, but, but Hosea did. And in the next three chapters, we're going to find really their love story, as broken as it may be. And we're going to see how that is a picture of God's love towards His people. This evening, I, I want you to find yourself in this story. There's, there's characters in this story, and, and as you read it, we're going to see really the position of God in this story and His heart. But as you read it, I want you to find yourself in it. Because if you cannot find yourself in this story, you need to figure out what story you are in. Because the story of Hosea is God's story. It's not just a story of Hosea. It's not even just about Gomer. This is a story of God and His love for His people. Read with me in verses um, in chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8. This is a passage where we're going to see really what Hosea's wife was like. Um, this is, I, I'll give you a little background first here. This is right after they have three children together, um, Hosea and Gomer. Um, they have three children. I'll read you their names. It's Jezreel, Lo Ruhama, um, which means not loved, and then Lo Ami, which means not my people. How would you like to be named she is not loved. That's his daughter's name. Or, not my people. <laughs> and these are the names that God chose um, for Hosea to name his children. He said, name them this because there's a message I'm trying to get you to convey. I, I want the people of Israel to see your marriage and your relationship with this woman. I want them to understand what it is like to love the Israelites like I do. And so these are the names of the children. Jezreel, and then she is not loved, and then not my people. So they just have these children, and yet this is Hosea's wife's response here in verse 5. It says, Their mother has played the harlot. She that conceived them has done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, mine oil, and my drink. Hosea married this woman knowing full well that at some point in his relationship with her, at least once, she would turn her back on him and leave everything that she had with him and go and commit adultery with at least another man. And yet in this passage, we see that not only once, it happened many times. She had children with this man. She had committed to marry him. And I wonder if Hosea was beginning to just hope that Maybe what God said wasn't going to happen. I, I know he, he told me to go marry a woman like this, and yet I wonder, I wonder if, if I have loved her well enough that she won't run. I wonder if I have convinced her that this is a better life than what she used to live. And yet, here we see in chapter 2, that she says, mm, I'm leaving. I'm going back. I'm going to return to what I used to love. I'm going to go back to that same sin. I'm going to go back with those people that I sinned with, and I'm going to continue in that life. And, it, and in this passage, based on the description here, it seems like she believed that these men that she was going to be with were giving her gifts, and, and she would return home after a night with them, and she would, she would see these gifts, and she would think, 
These are the people that are loving me. These men are giving me these gifts. They're providing for my needs. They're, they're giving me food and water. And yet verse 6 says this, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. This is Hosea speaking. And make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. He's, he's doing his best to make it hard for her to leave. Not because he doesn't love her, not because he's trying to be cruel or punish her. He is trying to make it hard for her to sin. He is trying to make her life better with him. And he says, I'm going to remove those paths that she used to run down. I have forgiven her. I have loved her. And I want to keep her as my wife. I want to continue showing her that love. And I'm going to, I'm going to grow thorns here so that it'll be hard for her to leave because I love her better than he knows anyone else can love her. And yet, she still found a way back to those same people. Verse 8 is the sad truth here. It says this, For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. He says this whole time, she thought those gifts that were being given to him were by these men. And yet, in all reality, it was, it was me. I was the one loving her. I was the one providing for her needs. I showed her that love time and time again while I knew she was running from me. And yet, this is how I showed her my love. It's almost like he's defending his relationship with her before the entire nation of Israel. He said, look what I have done. I have included her in my home. I've brought her into my home. I, I have shown her love. We've had children together. And, and over and over again, I have gone out of my way to show her love. And yet, this is what she has done in response. I, I hope by this point in the story you're realizing it's not just about Hosea and Gomer. It, it's, there's a bigger picture here. And it's the picture of God and His people. It is God and those whom He loves. And if you're anything like me, you have found your spot in this story. And unfortunately, it is not with Hosea. It is with Gomer. Gomer, the one who has experienced love, the one who has been loved well by a good man and yet has decided to turn from what she knew to be right and go back to those things that never gave her satisfaction before. Yet she continues looking in those same places for love. Friends, this is us. This is how we have treated the love of God. And we get to this point in chapter 3 and it's not a very pretty picture, right? Hosea is pleading with Gomer. He is pleading with their children. He doesn't even know if these children are his. He says, go tell your mother. Tell your mother to come back and be my wife for I love her. And yet Gomer repeatedly, over and over and over again, is running from Hosea's good love. And this is the story of Hosea and Gomer. I think a lot of people see this as a story of Gomer, right? They, they, they focus on her rebellion. They focus on her departure from Hosea. Because we think, how can this be? Like, he has loved her so well. Why is she running? And yet I think if we're honest and we, we consider the world we live in, that's not that uncommon. For someone to leave someone that loves them for something that honestly isn't as good we see this all the time. The amount of broken homes we have 
in America is just astounding because people choose to leave someone that they said they would love over and over again. Honestly, that's not that uncommon. It, it's tragic. And, and I hate it for this relationship and I, and I hate it for America, but that's not really what this story is about. You see, the main character between Hosea and Gomer is really Hosea. Because what is so unique in this story is Hosea's love for Gomer. In chapter 3, we see God calling Hosea to go and love her again. She has left him. She has gone to these other men. And at this point, she has actually been sold into slavery. Sexual slavery. And, and in chapter 3, this is the message of the Lord. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, go again, love a woman beloved of her friend or husband, yet an adulteress, according to the love of God, get this, toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love wine. He said, you need to go and love her again because this, don't miss this, this is the, this is the point of the message, this is how I love Israel. This is how I have been treated by Israel, and this is how I love Israel. And again, we see his response right away, right after this. In chapter 3, it says, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and a homer of barley, and a half a homer of barley. So about the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver, which was the cost of a slave. And he said unto her, Thou, thou shalt not abide from me for many days, Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be with another man. So will I also be for me. Hosea said, this is how I'm going to treat you. I, I was rejected by you. Okay, you sinned against me. And I just, I just can't help but picture Gomer in this place. She's being sold as a slave. And she's looking out at these crowd of men, thinking about her life and the sum of it. And she she knows she has a husband and three children back at home, and yet she has chosen this life. She has made decisions that, has, that have brought her to this place, and she can't help but be wondering, man, what if I, why didn't I just stay? Why, why didn't I just stay with that man that loved me and provided for me? And yet here she is being sold, her body is being sold for 30 pieces of silver to the highest bidder, and she hears a voice that she knows. And she looks out of the crowd and she sees who is bidding on her and it is her own husband. It is the man that has shown her love and affection. And she is here because she left him. And yet he said, I love her so much that I'm going to buy her back. I'm going to pay the price because I know that she is worth it. She may not act like it. She may have despised me, and yet I love her in such a way that I'm going to go the distance. I'm going to go bring the cost of her redemption, and I'm going to bring her back into my home, and I'm going to show her the same love because this is how God loves us. The, ver the first verse here in chapter 3, just every time I read it, it says, go again, go love her again. The Lord said unto me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by her husband and is adulterous. And I just can't help about to think about that phrase. 
And I just, I just wonder if those were God's departing words to His Son when He came to this earth. Go love them again. They have rebelled, they have rejected, they have turned against Me. And yet this is the only way that I can bring them back into My family. Son, go love them again. Go to this earth. Walk with them. Show them this love. Because this is My love for My bride. I love my people this way and I want you to go to Golgotha. Go to the cross and love them again. And when they put you on that cross and they kill you, go love them again. And when you're faced again after you rise from the dead and you're confronted with your disciple who on the night of your crucifixion deserted you three times, go love him again. Go love him again. And when you and when you see that Christian who has been in church all their life still struggling with that same sin and going back to that same place that they know they shouldn't be, go love them again. You see, in the same way that our heart is bent towards backsliding, God's heart is bent towards forgiving. And we're going to see that in His response. But before we do that, I want you to see what He calls His controversy here. In chapter 4, He says this, "'Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel.'" So this is kind of where the picture of Hosea and Gomer stops. And this is where he really just has a direct message to the Israelites. He says, For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He says, They have rejected these things. And and in this passage we see he has a controversy. He says there's no truth. There's no mercy. There's no steadfast love. There's no intimacy in the land with me. Um, Read with me in verses 6 and 7 there in that same chapter. He says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest for me. This message right here is actually addressing the, the spiritual leaders of the land. He says, Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. He says of the children of Israel in verse 7, As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. I wonder what he would say about America. As they were increased, so they increased in their sin. It uses this word knowledge a few times in this passage. It says there's no truth, there's no mercy, there's no knowledge in the land in verse 1 and verse 6. That word knowledge is an interesting Hebrew word. It really, the word knowledge doesn't really do it justice. It, it has the idea of something that you have experienced. Not just something that you have been taught, but something that you have found out by experience. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 6 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. The people of Israel had not gone to that measure. They had not tasted and seen that the Lord was good. Because that's not something necessarily that you read about. That is something that you find out by experience. That is when you recognize the hand of God in your own life and you look back and you say, I know that God is good because I have experienced that personally. That is the knowledge this is talking about. In addition to that, it's really also talking about the biblical knowledge like we see in Genesis 1 where, where, or Genesis 3 where Adam knew his wife. It's an intimate knowledge. God says, my people are destroyed for lack of of spiritual intimacy. They're, they're destroyed for a lack of spiritual experience with me. They, 
They have not gone and found out that I am good. They have not experienced my goodness because they have instead run and worshipped other gods. And this is his controversy with the children of Israel. He said, you've rejected my word, you've rejected my message, and you've rejected a relationship with me. This is my problem with you, okay? This is, this is my controversy with you. And yet, we see his response to this. I, I think it's pretty clear. If you guys were to take the time and read the book of Hosea, you're going to find um, a lot of kind of hard and heavy truths here. Really, it's an interesting cycle. Five times in this book, at least, God goes and, and brings judgment and accusations to the people of Israel. Accusations that were well-founded. These people deserved to be accused of their sin. They had been living in spiritual immorality and in physical immorality. And so this was a perfect picture, Hosea and Gomer. And yet, when God accuses them, it's almost like in the same breath, He repents of it and, and He forgives them. And there's five cycles of this. And it's such an interesting book because we see right away the heart of God. It's, it's almost as if He knows He has to punish sin, and yet He hates punishing sinners. And it's these two character traits, these two qualities of God, and it really helps us see the personality of God. He hates the sin, and, and if you were to read Hosea for yourself, you would see that. You would completely be in agreement that God hates sin. And, and the way he pictured it, I think we can come away with realizing, man, this is a God that hates sin. And yet, if we continue to read, we always see, almost in the same breath, before the children of Israel even have a chance to respond, we see him promising that he will continue to watch out for them. Um, there's a verse here in, let me see if I can find it here. In chapter 2, um, verses 13 through 15, he says this, I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers. And forget me, saith the Lord. He, he, he brings this accusation here, just so you can see an example of this. He says, I'm going to visit her with all of these things that she has done. She has left me. She's worshipped Baal. She has burned incense towards him. And yet, verse 14 says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what the Valley of Achor is, but, but the last time I was here, I believe, and I had the opportunity to speak, I, I spoke on the sin of Achan. That word Achor is actually the same spot, the Valley of Achan, that's translated in some texts. Um, and so it's interesting how these two passages are tied together. Um, you're familiar with the sin of Achan, where Achan knew exactly what to do. God told him, if you take of these accursed things, I will punish you. And yet, he said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he hid them in his tent. And he was punished for his sin because he knew what was right and said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. And God has to punish sin. And in this picture, though, he, he brings that back to mind. The children of Israel knew this story of Achan. Some of them probably were still related distantly to this man. And yet he said, I'm going to bring my bride to the valley of Achan. And where there once was punishment... I'm going to make it a door of hope. I hate sin, and yet my heart is towards forgiveness. 
And I desire that I will not have to continue to punish your sin. I want to make where you used to sin, I want to make that a place of obedience and forgiveness. That is my desire. That is God's desire for us. He doesn't always want to open the earth up and and have Achan fall, or he doesn't want to have Achan stoned by the people of Israel. His desire is forgiveness. And yet we continually turn our backs on him. You see, the way of Hosea, the way of Gomer, is the way of the sinner. And yet, as we close, I would like you to turn to chapter 11. Um, Chapter 11 holds just such an interesting insight on God. And this is really the chapter that um, stuck out to me as I read this because it, it just stands out in a and just a multitude of accusations against the children of Israel. Um, that's what it follows. We, we read this in chapter 11. He says, God speaking to Israel again, just so you have context. He says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Baal and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. Okay, I want you to picture this with me. You guys have all seen the mom or dad that, that takes the young boy's hand. Many of you have done this with your own children and takes the hand of the child as he's learning to walk and walks with him, holding him up by his arms, right? That is the picture God uses. He says, I took Ephraim in my arms. I, I took Egypt. I, I took you out of Egypt. I, I loved them even when they were a child. All the way from the beginning, God says, I have been intimately involved in the history of Israel and I have shown my love by providing for you. He says, I taught Ephraim to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them, just as Gomer knew not that those gifts were from her own husband. He says, I drew them with the cords of a man, with bands of love. He said, I pursued them. I drew them to myself. And I was to them as those that take the yoke off their jaws. And I laid meat unto them. He said, I, I gave them freedom. I, I took that yoke off of them. He said, um, in verse 7 though, this is, this is another one that we really just need to take away. He says, my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt Him. So just as we, as God's people, are bent towards backsliding, we're going to read in this next verse that God is bent towards forgiving. And that is the beauty of the story of Hosea and Gomer and God and His people. Verse 8 says this, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, O Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? These are two cities that were destroyed because of their sin. My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. God in this passage makes it so clear that though in our minds we feel like he is completely justified to destroy a bride that leaves like Gomer did, right? If, if that happened to a friend of ours, we would probably counsel them to leave, right? That's just our human nature. We would say, nobody should be able to treat you like that and get away with it. And yet God says, I am God and not a man. I will not come in anger. I will not come in wrath. I don't respond like you do. 
I am different. I am higher than you. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Though you would come in wrath, and you can see that I am completely justified to do that, I will come in forgiveness. I will come in mercy. Though you do not deserve it, though you have done nothing to earn my love, yet I will come in mercy because I am God and not a man. He said, how can I give you up? How can I deliver you? It's such a passionate explanation of God's love for us. Like I said, over and over again, we see these, we see these accusations, these judgments, and yet always they are followed by the great mercy of God. After he named, at the very beginning, if you want to uh, turn back with me to chapter 1, after he named all these children, after the last son, he said, Then said God, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. He is, he's accusing them. He said, I cannot be your God if you're going to act like this. And yet in the verse following, he says this, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, a promise, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people. There it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. God is a covenant-keeping God. God makes promises and he fulfills them. Though he hates sin, and during times of the Israelite nation, and I am confident in times of my own life, it is hard for him to love a sinner like me. Yet over and over again, he says, I have promised and I will fulfill it. I made a covenant that I will protect you. I will watch over you. I will be, my, be your God and you will be my people. And over and over again, he made these promises. And he almost said, I, you will not be my people. He even called this son that because this was how serious sin was to God. And yet he said, yet in the place where it was said of them, you are not my people. In that same place, you are going to be called the children of God. We see this repeated again in 1 Peter where Peter is addressing the church, addressing you and I. He said, you did not have a name, and yet now you are called the sons of God. That is us. Did we do anything to deserve it? No. As a matter of fact, we did many, many things to break that relationship. We worked as hard as we can to run away from the God that loves us. And yet God in His love went back. And He brought the payment required And he purchased us from our sin. And he said, you are worth the distance. I am always going to come through. Hosea is a story of sinners like you and I. But more importantly, Hosea is a picture of our God and his faithful love for us. Though we are incredibly unfaithful, though we are resisting him with all we have, he is constantly pursuing us. As we close... Turn with me to chapter 6. I know we've been all over tonight, but I I hope you've been able to get a picture of this book. Chapter 6 and verse 1 says this. This is the response of the children of Israel. And I hope that tonight it is our response. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. And uh, one more verse I'm going to read for you. You don't have to turn there. Chapter 10 and verse 12 says this, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. 
Friends, it is time to seek the Lord. I hope that tonight you have been even more convinced of the love of God towards sinners. I know that I have this story. Every time I read it, I am just touched by the depth of God's love. And that phrase where he says, because so often I step away from his love and say, how can't, like this, this isn't possible for him to love somebody like this, right? Like it's, in my human mind, I think this is not possible. And that phrase, every time I read it, he says, for I am God and not a man. I, I don't respond like you do. And that is what I want us to come away with. Though we expect God to act in a certain way, Hosea has shown us that God is not a God of expectations. He always is above our ways and he's always just bringing up forth an end that we did not expect and and i don't it's hard for me to comprehend the love of god i don't know about you but reading a story like this even makes it um more deep and meaningful for me the words of how deep the father's love for me just just keep coming to my mind as i I read through this story because his love is so much unlike our love and i hope this week as we go forth that we'll be reminded of this because it's so easy to forget what God's love is like. You know, if you have not found this story to be, um, if you haven't found yourself in this story, I I think you're probably either underestimating God's grace in your life or or maybe you're overestimating your own righteousness. Um, But I think most of you, hopefully all of you, have found yourself in this story as that sinner, deserving punishment, deserving unfaithfulness, and yet receiving the goodness and riches of God's mercy. God, to us this week, says, go love them again. Go love them again. Go love them again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture, Lord, of your love. Lord, I, I did my best to explain it, Lord, as you have taught me, but But Lord, I know that there's so much more to your love. Lord, we could spend all night, every night this year, and still not fathom it for us, Lord. Lord, I I didn't do much practical application tonight, but I I do hope that these people, as I was, Lord, just were just convicted by the reality of this passage and and personally will will take steps in their life to return to the Lord, break up that that fallow ground, Lord, that, that hard ground that has been neglected, Lord, and return to you, Lord. Just give us a desire to know you, Lord. Just as Paul said, Lord, let the love of God be shed abroad in our hearts, Lord. Help us to understand more deeply your love this week. In your name, amen.